1: Mexican drug cartel leaves letter apologizing for abducting and killing Americans. Who are you representing? The the Mexican people or the cartels? Biden's 6.9 trillion dollar budget proposal skyrockets taxes. This is a uh, fiscal
2: atrocity. It's probably the worst budget I've seen in terms of what
1: it, what its impact would be. Good news for the economy may mean bad news for consumers. It's going to be all, uh, full speed ahead and rates are going up. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Friday, March 10th. I'm Jim Bartow. Part of Mexico's notorious Gulf Cartel has issued an apology letter with five members who they alleged were responsible for the kidnapping and killing of two Americans. According to the letter, the cartel said they, quote, decided to turn over those who were directly involved and responsible in the events, end quote. The
3: cartel, Gulf cartel, just allegedly apologized, if you can believe that. Here's the letter left on a street in Mexico, along with five men allegedly involved in the crime. We have decided to turn over those directly involved and responsible in the events, who at all times acted under their own decision-making and lack of discipline, adding that those individuals had gone against the cartel's rules, which include respecting the life and well-being of of the innocent.
1: Reporter Jorge Ventura says that something like this has never happened before, and it's frankly bizarre.
4: Speaking to sources, they're saying that if this is true, uh, it's because they're feeling that wrath from Washington, D.C., the pressure from the U.S. government. Uh, but right now, Leland, just last night, this, this story really just took that bizarre turn. I mean, so far, only one individual has been arrested, connected to this crime. It's a 24-year-old Mexican national. Uh, but yesterday, five individuals turned over uh, by the golf cartel. They were found with the zip ties, they were found with the note. And golf cartel is claiming responsibility for turning those men in. The letter also claimed
1: the five members acted under their own decision-making and lack of discipline when they attacked victims Latavia Tay McGee, Shaeed Woodard, Zendel Brown, and Eric James Williams. McGee and Williams were found injured but alive in a dingy shack on Tuesday after a four-day search. Woodard and Brown, however, had been shot dead. Mexican officials did not immediately confirm the reports, however, Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador raised eyebrows for saying that his country does not produce fentanyl and went on to suggest that fentanyl was an American problem and that the U.S. needs to, quote, take care of their own social decay, end quote. Republican Representative Dan Crenshaw from Texas feels that statements like those seem to suggest the Mexican president supports cartels.
0: Yeah, you know, my response to him is, who are you representing, the the Mexican people or the cartels? Uh, he seems to be representing the cartels. Uh, he seems to have their interest in mind. I mean, the Mexican people want to be rid of the cartels. The Mexican people have been terrorized by the cartels for 20 years at this point. Like, uh, you, just, you just named a bunch of statistics. I mean, 60, 80, 100,000 people disappeared. Uh, the cartels use terrorist tactics against their own people. They they've, They have open warfare on the streets of Mexico. They're some of the most well-armed, most well-funded paramilitary groups in the world. You think the Mexican people just want them around? Of
1: course not. Crenshaw says that, like it or not, in order to tackle the fentanyl and cartel problems, the U.S. needs the help of the Mexican government
0: it's situation dependent right now with Mexico um, you know they 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 have to be uh, invi- and I'm not an expert on exactly why we prosecute some and why we extradite some and, and not others in the end it is dependent upon the Mexican government and so what will change that leverage leverage is what changes that like a carrot and a stick approach we need to give them something right maybe in the terms of better trade or whatever it is but we also have to have leverage over them there has to be a stick approach as well this is something Biden does not understand Trump did understand it so they're they're both the, like extreme ends of this you've got to do both but I'll actually go first back to your first question the, the, the first step to making mexico cooperate with us more is for us to be united so democrats and republicans have to be united I've, I've had a lot of private conversations with democrat colleagues on this
1: they're definitely interested the texas congressman says he doesn't understand why the biden administration doesn't crack down harder on cartels
0: this is a sticky issue they do conflate unfortunately the the border issue and the immigration issue so i assure them i say look this is not a border policy this is not a this is not an immigration policy i realize we're just not going to agree on that but this is a national security issue that we have to agree on and by the way they do in private they they agree um but they're slow to come on board but i'm not bastard i'm not going to bash them for it because i need them to come on board all right i need i need this to be bipartisan i would tell biden like what kind of win is this this is a huge win for you if you would just take this up it would make you look strong I don't know why you wouldn't do it. This is this is literally protecting tens of thousands of Americans who are dying from fentanyl being poisoned because the street drugs they're used to taking are being laced with this stuff.
1: Crenshaw goes on to say that he's pushing for a bipartisan bill that will address the fentanyl and cartel crisis.
0: Well, we have to keep on talking about it. And we have to talk about it in a unifying way. This is why I told all my Republican colleagues who get on this bill. Because by the way, all my Republican colleagues who, who hate AUMFs, who voted against one yesterday, they want to be on this one. Right. They agree mm-hmm. with this. So it's unifying within the Republican caucus because the Republican caucus is different. Some are more isolationist. Some some are more interventionist. OK, this is unifying. It needs to be unifying with Republicans and Democrats, too. There's just no reason that it shouldn't be. Uh, and so so I'm not losing hope. I'm going to continue to talk to my Democrat colleagues. I've seen a few of them to get on board. And I think the floodgates will open because everybody knows this is an issue that every American cares about.
1: Reports show that all four victims who were abducted were childhood friends from South Carolina had prior arrests for drug-related incidents. Investigators are looking into whether that fact had anything to do with the abductions. Matamoros, which is located near the border town of Brownsville, Texas, is a hot zone for the Gulf cartel's ultraviolet war against its rival Zetas. Authorities say a Norfolk Southern train has derailed in Alabama. Daybreak Insider's Norman Hall has more on this developing story. A Norfolk Southern train derailed in East Central Alabama, but company and local officials say there is no threat to the public. The Alabama accident came on the same day Norfolk Southern CEO testified before Congress about the impact of a hazardous materials train derailment in Ohio. The derailment in Calhoun County, northeast of Birmingham, involved about 37 train cars. A company spokesman said none of the cars carried hazardous materials, but two of them are considered residue cars because they previously contained hazardous materials. They were not compromised. i Norman Hall. On Thursday, President Biden revealed his budget request for fiscal 2024. The proposed budget suggested a plethora of tax and spend initiatives that House Republicans have already stated are dead on arrival. However, Biden is optimistic that he can come to an agreement with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. I
2: want to make it clear I'm ready to meet with the Speaker anytime tomorrow if he has his budget. Lay it down, tell me what you want to do, I'll show you what I want to do, see what we can agree, on, we don't agree, on, let's see if we both.
1: The budget proposes trillions of dollars worth of tax increases targeting the wealthiest Americans and major corporations. Reporter Blake Berman says that even though it's unlikely Republicans will even entertain Biden's budget, it shows what the president's priorities will be for a potential presidential run in 2024.
4: This thing, this budget, dead on arrival here in Washington, D.C. with the divided Congress. If you're wondering then, well, why are you talking about it? Why is it even important? Two reasons, really. First off, it serves as an important marker for the debt limit negotiations that... Are likely going to consume Washington here in the upcoming months. But also, secondly, it serves as a bit of a preview of the president's priorities as he leans into potentially gears up for Yet another presidential run. To show you how important this was for the president today, Nicole, he actually went out onto the road to sell the thing. He was in the swing state of Pennsylvania. Now, at its core, President Biden wants to raise taxes on corporations and wealthy to help pay for some of his big priorities. For example, he wants to increase the corporate tax rate to 28 percent and institute a billionaire tax minimum of 25 percent while ending oil and gas tax subsidies. Some of those funds would go toward extending the medicare trust fund extending it by some 25 years the president also wants to expand medicare's ability to negotiate and lower drug costs
1: berman goes on to read the statement released by speaker mccarthy
4: remember though congress holds the power of the purse and the top republican in washington says the president's plan is an absolute no-go here's how the house speaker kevin mccarthy reacted earlier today quote president biden just delivered his budget to congress and it is completely unserious he proposes trillions in new taxes that you and your family will pay directly or through higher costs. Mr. President, he says, Washington has a spending problem, not a revenue problem. Nicole, it gives you an idea of exactly just how far these two sides are apart and and the importance of the debt limit. Some sort of an agreement needs to be worked out before the uh, beginning of the summer or else the U.S. would default on its debts, which which both sides say would be absolutely uh, the last thing that either side wants to see happen.
1: Meanwhile, the GOP has called for a deal on significant reductions in government spending, particularly on the non-defense side, in exchange for Republicans' votes to raise the debt limit. Stephen Moore, FreedomWorks' senior economic contributor, writer for The Wall Street Journal, and the Club for Growth's founder, says he's thankful for Republicans saying that Biden's budget is a no-go.
2: It's, it is true, this this budget, thank God, is going nowhere. I've been in this business for 35 years, uh, and I would have to say this is a uh, fiscal atrocity. It's probably the worst budget I've seen in terms of what it, what its impact would be on the economy. It would be a killer. We'd have the highest tax rates in the world. Uh, we'd have the highest corporate tax rate in the world. The, the, our personal income
1: tax rates would go maybe not
2: to the highest in the world, but, but pretty, pretty close to that.
1: Moore points out that he believes the budget plan for the White House shows the priorities for progressive Democrats.
2: So none of that is going to go anywhere with the Republican House, but here's why this is so important, uh, Neil. This is sort of the... Uh, the blueprint for where progressive Democrats want to take the country. And I think it's, it's really indicative that there's no cuts in here, that it's all tax and spend, tax and spend, tax and spend. It would be ruinous for the economy, um, and Republicans should be putting out in a completely different course from this.
1: Moore blasts the White House's plan to keep Social Security solvent and says the proposed budget will simply do the opposite.
2: That what these programs like Social Security and Medicare depend on the most is economic growth. you got to grow the economy. You've got to get people working. You've got to get higher real wages for workers. If you don't do that, these these programs will plunge into bankruptcy even sooner than than uh, the official forecast. So my point is, all of these tax increases are going to put a huge hole in the economy. They're going to slow growth. We'll be lucky if we can grow at 1.5% at these growth rates, and you're not going to be able to produce the revenues you need to make the program solvent. So I, th- I think this is actually, by the way, we have a new study that's coming out uh, early next week. I'll give you a sneak preview. Just the lower growth from Biden being in office over the last two years has taken about almost a trillion dollars out of the Medicare and Social Security trust funds because we don't have the, the, the number of people working. We
1: don't have the wages and we don't have enough uh, GDP. Biden's budget includes more funding for the war in Ukraine and increases funding for border security. Two hot-button issues sure to come up in conversations with Republicans. The U.S. government has given nearly $80 billion to Kyiv, including more than $32 billion in lethal aid. Visa and MasterCard have frozen a plan to categorize purchases at gun stores after pressure from gun rights groups. Daybreak Insider's Jackie Quinn has more on this story.
0: The credit card company's decision is a win for Second Amendment advocates and a defeat for gun control groups, who had been hoping that by creating a separate gun store category, Authorities would be able to see potential red flags, like a significant purchase of ammunition before a mass shooting occurred. Montana's Attorney General led a 24-state pressure campaign to block the idea of a gun purchase category, fearing discrimination against legal gun buyers. Several states are weighing legislation that would ban the tracking of weapons purchases.
1: I'm Jackie Quinn. During a hearing on the Twitter files on Thursday, Democratic Representative Sylvia Garcia was accused of badgering journalist Matt Taibbi into revealing his sources for his reporting in a heated exchange.
4: No, now you're you're trying to get me to say that he is the
1: source. I I, I, well, I just can't answer your is question. Well, or he or isn't.
3: If you're telling me you can't answer because it's your source, well then that only logical conclusion is that he is in fact your source.
4: Well, you're free to conclude that.
3: Well, sir, I just don't understand. You can't have it both ways, but let's move on. Well, no, he can. He's a journalist. No, he can't because either Musk is the source and he can't talk about it or Musk is not the source. And if Musk is not the source, then he can discuss no his conversations the, general general the source. No one has yielded. The gentlelady is out of order. You don't and get to speak. And she's out of the order because not he's recognized. interrupted. The gentlelady is not chairman, recognized. You're not he recognized. He my he has not said that.
1: Sourcing is a sensitive journalistic subject, as it had already come up during the hearing when Taibbi was asked directly about it regarding his reporting on internal Twitter communications and accusations of government censorship. In response to Taibbi's refusal to give up his sources, Democratic Representative Stacey Plaskett resorted to name-calling, saying that Taibbi was a so-called journalist. Robbie Suave of The Hill explains why the Twitter Files hearings are important. This is a
3: hearing about what the Twitter Files has shown, which is this very worrying uh, collaboration between government-funded NGOs and government agencies like the FBI and others to influence Twitter and other social media companies to take down so-called misinformation having to do with hunter biden elections covid um maybe uh, some of those quests be uh, some of those requests being legitimate a lot of them being take down this account that a political figure wanting a, an account taken down that was mean to them and this cross, it's totally cross-partisan democrats republicans doing it but the the the, the fbi and the agents and the agencies pushing on stuff from a very Russiagate perspective is, I think, what was most concerning. And what I've seen from the Twitter files so far, these, these government-funded entities and government agencies saying, take down all these accounts because they're Russian bots. Twitter having internal discussions saying, uh-huh, these aren't actually Russian bots. And then the, the, the pressure campaign saying, you got to do something or we're going to tell Politico or the New York Times that you don't take the threat of Russian misinformation seriously. Yeah,
1: it- Rihanna Joy Gray, also from The Hill, says that even if you don't agree with the conclusions that Taibbi came to, the Democratic reaction to his testimony has been ridiculous.
2: You are allowed, obviously, to disagree with Matt Taibbi on various Mm -hmm. things. You're allowed to say that this aspect of the reporting was more valuable than this aspect, to disagree with some of the conclusions that he might have drawn from some of the reporting. But to deny the substance of what he has reported on in its entirety, at the same time that you completely devolve into ad hominem personal attacks, which are so easily refuted, as Matt Taibbi did there, of all the things to criticize the man for, the idea that he is somehow not a real journalist or hasn't doesn't have a yeah. body of work that stands on its own two legs, That's absurd.
1: Even while inflation clings to the pocketbooks of many Americans, the U.S. economy itself has been pretty strong. That means the Fed will most likely continue cranking up interest rates in order to cool off inflation. While those moves are necessary to tame inflation, hiking rates further could slow the economy so much that people will lose their jobs and impact the housing market as loan rates surge for millions of Americans. Economist William Lee warns that part of the problem is that the Fed acted too late to tame inflation.
5: What we're seeing is real-time policymaking, and the the nightmare of every policymaker is that the data he he is looking at or she's looking at is not telling what's going on in the economy because of data revisions and because we got a big surprise in January. So what we're expecting to see going forward is the advice from most policy rules that are used to assess policy is that we should have gone earlier and if we're going to go late, we're going to have to go higher. And most policy rules are suggesting we should go maybe 6 or even 7%, not the 5% that's being uh, priced in by markets right now. So markets really are yet to be surprised by even more
1: tightness if the data keep coming in as strong as it has been. Lee says that unfortunately many economists initially believe that inflation was due to COVID alone. This time it was
5: supposed to be different because it was COVID induced and supply side induced and supply chain brokenness was supposed to be the source of this. You heard that in the questioning by the uh, by the Democrats throughout Powell's uh, testimony and that there's a lot of people who believe that it's all supply side. Well I think the Chair. Powell is trying to correct and say it's both supply and demand. The demand the, the demand side is still extraordinarily strong, even as the supply side is coming back online.
1: Lee goes on to say that Americans should prepare for another interest rate hike. Paul told us he's definitely going to be
5: doing more depending upon how the data come in. So look at the next two weeks worth of data and look at the CPI, the employment numbers and the retail sales. If it continues as strong as, as, as it has been in
1: January, you betcha it's going to be Full speed ahead and rates are going up. According to several reports, despite layoffs in tech and finance, the job market has been so far impervious to the Fed's tightening. There are nearly two job openings for each job seeker. General Motors is offering buyouts to most of its U.S. salaried workforce, along with some global executives, in a bid to trim costs as it transitions to electric vehicles. More on this from Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason.
2: The Detroit automaker isn't saying how many workers it's targeting, but confirms the move is aimed at accelerating attrition to meet a previously announced goal of $2 billion in cost cuts by the end of next year. GM has about 58,000 salaried workers in the U.S. The company says the offers are also designed to avoid any possible firings at a later date. Offers will go to white-collar workers with at least five years of service and global executives who have been with the company at least two years. Rich Thomason reporting.
1: Good news and bad news concerning Valentine's Day in the year 2046. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens takes a look at what may be headed our way.
3: The good news is you may not have to worry about buying anyone a Valentine's Day gift 23 years from now. The bad news? The European Space Agency says a 160-foot asteroid named 2023DW has a 1 in 625 chance of hitting the Earth on that day. The giant space rock is number one on the agency's risk list of flying objects that could hit Earth. Taysha Stevens reporting.
1: And finally, when 8-year-old Kason Hunter learned that his favorite server, Devonte Gardner, was living in a hotel with his family and didn't have a car, the budding philanthropist decided to take action for his friend.
3: Kazan Hunter is an eight-year-old boy from Arkansas. He loves having breakfast at Waffle House with his family, but we're showing you a picture of Devontae Gardner. Uh, that is Kazan's favorite waiter at the Waffle House. One day he learned that Gardner was living in a motel with his family. He didn't have a car. With help from Kazin and his mother, they aimed to raise $500 on a GoFundMe, but attention began to grow, and it skyrocketed to more than $100,000.
1: Kazin asked for his mother's help and decided to create a GoFundMe with the hopes of raising $5,000. However, after news spread of the little boy's big heart, the donations rolled in, and it's now over $100,000. Young Kazin describes how it feels to see so many people come together to donate money to help his favorite waiter.
3: Well, it just made me feel really happy inside to help a friend.
1: Kaysen's mother, Victoria, explains how news of the GoFundMe spread so fast.
2: I Added it to my Facebook. i um, not really thinking, you know, I put it at $5,000. Maybe we would raise a little bit. I had no idea. Um, and then we had two family members, friends of family um, who are very close to us who, without us knowing, actually contacted Channel 11 and Channel 7 and turned Kazan's story into them. Um, And then after the fact, we found out that they had nominated him for Person of the Week on Channel 7 and then also turned his story into Channel 11 because they know him well enough to know how sweet of a kid he's always been. Um, And then once it aired on Channel 11, it just overnight, we were past our goal by the time we woke up the next morning. Um, so we, you know, obviously it's been a whirlwind of amazing and we couldn't imagine where it is now.
1: Gardner and the hunters also mentioned they just saw each other recently. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com.